Paul's troubled. He is passionate for the souls of others. And this includes Israel. And so he's deeply concerned for them. That if we would just take a moment and we would think about this, that maybe we would say, well, Pastor, I remember in the Old Testament it said something about Israel being God's chosen people. That God had made promises to Abraham, that he had made promises to this nation. And we can, if we're, if, if we're not studied, if we're not careful, we could say, well, it seems like those promises aren't being kept. It seems like Israel is not redeemed, is not saved, is not kept. And so Paul wants to spend some time to clarify this. So we don't have a misunderstanding. So we don't have this mindset as we think about this, that how do I know that God will come through for me if he didn't perceivably come through for Israel? And so I'd ask you to turn with me to Romans to chapter 9, verse 4 through 8. That we can truly trust in God's promises. That we can understand them clearly. That we can see the error of Israel's way and even our error. Because there's nothing new under the sun. The same thing that happened then happens today. And we can have this distorted perception. So here's what Romans chapter 9, verse 4 through 8 says. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ Cain, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God have taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Who are Israelites? And what about Israel? See, the history of the Israelites being chosen by God dates back to the early centuries of Abraham being called out of his homeland. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 we see an indication of this where it says for you are holy meaning set apart people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And so that just causes us to ponder and think, and we see it clearly there that it says uh, that these Israelites who are holy people, a set-apart people, that God set up apart for himself, 
And we ask ourselves the question, what was Israel chosen for? What were they chosen? Why were they chosen by God? See, God chose the nation of Israel to be a model of faith and obedience to the whole world. That they would see Israel and say, there's a God in Israel. There's a God to follow. And that is the God of the Israelites. God chose Israel as an example of what it means to live in faith and obedience to him. Since the time of Abraham, they have been given special instructions from God on how to live their lives according to his will. But I think the Israelites kind of mistook that part where it talks about a chosen you to be a people for him. They forgot about being a people for him, and they just fixated on the part about being special. You ever been there? That you were enamorated with me, myself, and I? That maybe you got picked for something, you got an award? I remember sharing with you all uh, a few months ago where I had this I love me wall. I had all of these trophies up, these plaques. In the military, they do that a lot. You walk into their office and you'll see a just a regalia of trophies and awards and plaques and all saying, look how great I am. I think the Israelites had a problem with the great I am, looking at themselves and not truly the one who is great and awesome. But it goes a little farther. We see in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8, here's what the Lord says. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were actually the least of all peoples. You wasn't that great. I chose you to glorify my name, to show faith in the earth, not because you was that special, because I am that I am. It goes on to say, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that God did it over and over and over again, redeemed them. Israel rebelled and turned away from God and God kept sending a deliverer over and over again, that he chose them, that he loved them. And see, this is not meaning that God loved them and hated everybody else. God loved them because he chose them. He wanted to love them, just like he desires to love us. So to be an example of faith was the reason Not because there was anything great about Israel and simply because he loved them. Just like he loves the whole world. He gave his word. He made a covenant promise with them. And so we can still have that mind. We're like, what happened? How did it go all awry? Israel has been in a mess, even to this day. 
but God speaks mightily that he did not and he will not break his promise. So it's important that we understand the nation of Israel got a big head. My grandmother used to say it like this when she saw me getting a big, big head. She'd say, son, you're starting to smell yourself. <laughs> Somehow the Israelites took those words, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth and lost their way. Many times they would say, we are Abraham's seed. We're a chosen nation to be used for God's plans. See, they forgot that part. They forgot to be a display of faith on the earth. And they abused it to mean or to think that they had already arrived, that they were the elect of God as a nation and a people. The better then. So much so that within their, their, their natural state, they thought they were so much better than everyone else that there's a saying called the bludgeon of the Pharisees. And the bludgeon of the Pharisees is when the Pharisees would walk by and they would see a Samaritan or someone that they considered un unrighteous. They would lift up their head and close their eyes and walk past them. And many times they would run into stuff and their heads would be bludgeoned because they thought it was beneath them to look at somebody that was not worthy, was not the elect. And so this veil... 2 Corinthians talks about it, this veil of them thinking that they're righteous. It reminded us of that even in this law, in this commandment, there was a certain level of faith and certain level of glory that they encountered by following the law, by following, but it was not God's intended purpose. It was weak. It was not enough. And so it was so important that they move from this faith, this faith through works, this glory through what they thought was righteous in their own eyes to the faith that's in Jesus Christ, to the glory that comes, the perfect righteousness that comes when we give our heart to Jesus. So, so important that we move from this faith to this faith, from faith by works to faith in Jesus Christ. The glory of this natural world, the glory of the things that we can do for ourselves to the glory of God, we move by faith. And so Paul was trying to correct this false belief and flawed thinking. See, Paul had been one of the most zealous Jews. He understood all of the Mosaic laws and how to work it for yourself. And he realized when he came to Christ, when that veil was removed, how wrong he truly was, how he had missed it, how faith by works is dead. 
And so having lived that hard, rule-based religion, void of any relationship with God, or faith towards God, Paul's heart was in great sorrow for his brethren in the flesh because they would not see. Look what he says in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul was willing to give up his own salvation if, if it could save his countrymen. So over the next few chapters, we're going to see Paul's compelling plea to Israel. I'm going to look at a few key points in this passage of Romans chapter 9, verse 4 through 8. It's going to try to clear it up a little bit, try to give us some understanding of what it truly means to be an Israelite. The first point, as we have read Romans 9, verse 4, who are Israelites? See, He asks that rhetorical question. He reminds us that an Israelite, these are to whom have pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. That was always the intent to receive all that God has. And so he begins by saying these words, the answer to the question. The first answer he gives is, whose are the fathers? Those who are the fathers. See, this is a possessive statement. Those who have allowed themselves to be possessed by God, who have surrendered their heart to him, who belong to him who are not in and of themselves, but they've been bought with a price. And they have surrendered themselves to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And now the Father has adopted them in the beloved with all the rights and privileges of a dear child. Whose are the Father's? See, Jesus, God didn't change it. He didn't make anything new. This was always from the beginning. He mentioned it. He indicates it even in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. After they had built the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon had built the temple. They had spent a week praising and worshiping the Lord. Solomon has a dream that God is pleased. But he makes this statement. To fully understand that it's not about the, not the house, it's not about the robes, it's not about all the stuff that we can look pretty on the outside. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repent. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. See, God's not a controlling God. He gives a conditional statement even to Israel. He says, yes, I've called you, but many are called, but few are chosen. It's so important that you step in, that you surrender, you accept what God has for you. Humble yourselves. Pray, seek my face. To give someone or something a name who we see here, who are called by my name, is a mark of love. See, the reality of it is, Melissa and I have three kids, three sons. They all have the Williams name. But they still have a choice. They're calling them to do right, to follow. To follow the plan. Just like we're given names of our parents. It's a mark of love. And far beyond our earthly parents and guardians here on earth, someone else called us by name. God called you by name. He so desires for us to come to him. And he is the supreme author and creator of each of us. We are all his creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. But God gives us a choice to come to him as dear children. He desires that we would hear him and seek him. See, Paul clearly states this to the Galatians in Galatians 3.29. He says, and if you are crisis, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you're crisis, if you surrender to him, if you've allowed him to be the Lord of your life, him be your Lord and God be your father. The second point that Paul makes in this passage of Scripture, in verse 5, not only whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. The significant point here is those of whom Christ came for. Jesus reminded us that there were those that did not believe that he came for them. They not, did not believe that he was the anointed one, that he was the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, I came for the sick, for those that are in need of a physician. In Mark 2, verse 17 when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. If you think you already got it, if you think you're already there, you have no need 
of the one who can heal it all. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, there was many of the Israelites that believed that they were already righteous. They were righteous in their own sight. And they had no need for Christ. But I hear you and I tell you today, it's not because God's word isn't true or that that God's word is ineffective even for the Israelites. The question that remains is, are they Israelites? I'm glad you asked that question. In verse 6, we see it. He says this. Not as though that the word of God hath taken non-effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. See, God did not change his word up on Israel. The point is, Israel stopped seeking him. They stopped listening. They became righteous in their own sight. And the same can be true for us if we're not careful. So it's important to dissect this a little bit. The word Israel is a Hebrew name. That means God contends or who struggles with God. The name of Israel also carries the meaning of being governed by God. You remember the story, Jacob, that trickster who wrestled with God? In the book of Genesis 32, verse 24 through 28, this is such a special account, I'd encourage you to just kind of read through it a little bit. Jacob was going through a time of understanding that he had messed up, that he had been a trickster, that he had done things deceptively, that he had turned away from God. And in him having a repentant heart, him understanding through the trials of life and God showing him, Jacob so wanted to not only be at peace with God, but be at peace with men, especially his brother Esau that was out to kill him. And so he sends his family away. He understands that Esau is coming. And we see that Jacob was left alone. And it says, there wrestled a man with him into the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. In other words, Jacob kept holding on. Jacob was wrestling. Jacob wouldn't give up. And so much so that he touched the thigh, the hollow of the thigh, and it caused Jacob to limp. But look what it says in verse 26. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh the one he was wrestling with. And he said, I will not let thee go until thou bless me. See, in other words, saints, we got to get that way. we got to have that kind of mindset with God. 
instead of becoming checked out, that we will wrestle, contend for our faith. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, no more the trickster and the deceiver, but Israel, one who struggles with God, is concerned and is governed by God. And look what that last part says. For as a prince has thou power with God and with men and has prevailed. That his name Israel, governed by God. See, to wrestle with God means to have come close and touched God. Everyone who touched God in the natural, as we look in Scripture, fell down dead. And so there's this spiritual seeking, walking by faith. That's illustrated with Jacob. See, by the Spirit, we become the people of God. And that's what Israel ultimately means, God's people. God's people. So it brings us to this point, for they are not all Israel. They are not all God's people which are by the flesh, by the nation of Israel. See, God didn't go back on his word. His promises to save are steadfast and sure. See, Israel in their natural state didn't go to God. Didn't wrestle with him. Didn't allow themselves to be governed by him. They didn't, by faith, choose him. So Paul makes it clear that it's not by physical birth. It's not by your natural seed of your father. In Romans 9, 7, he says, It's neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. See, Paul's dropping some knowledge on them. He's dropping a knowledge bomb on this one to really kind of get them to understand. See, you have said that we are the seed of Abraham. And so Paul is addressing this without saying all of the details because he understands that they think because of their natural birth, because of their coming from Abraham in the natural, that that makes them blessed, holy, righteous. But what we see here and what we don't see, he's making a point that you would never agree that Ishmael, because remember, Ishmael is also the seed of Abraham. And you've made this statement 
We are the seed of Abraham. But in no way would you ever say Ishmael is chosen of God, is righteous before God. Ishmael's descendants will be the Arabs. Ishmael's descendants will be the Amalekites that would literally try to eradicate Israel. But the seed of Abraham, this promised birth from Abraham didn't apply with Ishmael. And he was the natural seed of Abraham. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called, called by the Spirit of God, by the sweet Spirit of God to come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest for your soul. See, this is an example for us that it does not happen by our flesh. You being born into a certain family does not make you a child of God, does not make you a Christian because you were born in a Christian home. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. When I've asked people, how did you become a Christian? When did you become a Christian? They say, well, I was born in a Christian home. I've always been a Christian. That is no. That's what the Israelites were saying. You being taught to follow a certain way of life is not the way. It's not what you know. It's all about who you know. So in that blessed nation or family that you and I may have grown up in, you may receive the benefits of that family. Just like the nation of Israel was blessed and delivered, rescued, given the promised land. See, those are earthly blessings, but they're not eternal. See, the eternal blessings come when we're called out of darkness into light, when we've been born again through the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, think it not strange, I say unto you, you must be born again. So the next point Paul is making, it's the children of the promise that are counted. Look at Romans 9. Verse 8, the second portion of it. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. The children that are produced from the promises of God. That God would send a Savior. That he loves us with an undying love. That he has predetermined a way for us unto salvation. See, he promised to give them and to make a way for them. The good news of Jesus Christ, which Paul was preaching, and that we would humble ourselves. They, the Israelites would humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. Then they would hear from heaven. Be counted righteous. 
So God and Abraham, God spoke to him about the promises. He spoke to him about the plan. In Genesis 15, verse 5 through 7, it says this, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord. Abraham believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. God credited it to him for righteousness. Even Abraham believed unto righteousness, not worked. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. So we focus on what Abraham did. He believed in God. And God put it on his account in waiting for the promised deliverer, in waiting for the Savior, Jesus Christ. And maybe God, when he accounted it, he put his name on a side ledger say, saying, it's going to get written in the Lamb's Book of Life once Christ dies. Once the full righteous payment is made, Abraham, I'm accrediting it for your righteousness. The book of life that shows who's the father. The question is, is your name written in it? This is the book of all of God's kids. So this is the word of promise going to make a way for your seed to be blessed is what God was sharing with Abraham. For your children to be adopted in the beloved, to have life. At this time, I'll come. I'll start the plan. You will have a son, you and Sarah. Romans 9, verse 9. And not only this, verse 10, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. And it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. It's important that we understand this. Let me unpack this a little bit. God made a promise to Abraham to bless him, be a many nation, be of a great nation. And in this passage, Paul is reminding that God started working out his plan. He breathed life so that Abraham and Sarah would have a son who would be Isaac. And Isaac would have two sons. But God in advance said one of them is going to be the chosen to bring about this plan. Not chosen because 
you know, I'm, I'm going to save one and kick the other out. But to bring about my promised plan. And he said that would be the younger and not the elder. So often we can look at this and say, well, you know, that, that, that sounds like, you know, God's going, has already determined he's going to save these folks and he's not going to save this folks. If we read in the book of Genesis, we will see that Esau was a blessed man of God. That this reality of the part that we see here doesn't mean what we think it means. Let me unpack it a little bit. God has a well-thought-out divine plan. Would you agree? That were those that he had chose to bring about his plan. Would you agree? With Isaac, not Ishmael, but Isaac. Both Abraham's seed. The same with Isaac and his sons, not Esau, but Jacob. So that the righteous plan of God would be fulfilled. God did not choose Jacob over Esau because he knew their works in advance, which he did. Paul points out that it was not of works in that passage. Instead, the reason for God choosing Jacob was found in him who calls in other words, we don't know why God chose Jacob over Esau. That's just what he did. The reason was found in the one who calls. And God, and Paul is making the illustration that it wasn't because Esau would mess up and later or and Paul would, I mean, uh, Jacob would do right because we know they both messed up at times, right? God made a choice. He set the lineage. Just like God still has plans to use the nation of Israel in the future to bring about his divine plan. He's going to use them. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul, as well as him referring, uh, referencing it from the prophet Malachi, he talks about this as using the name Esau to refer to the Edomites, the nation that would come from Esau. Not that he hated Esau, but that he chose Jacob and his lineage and his people over Esau and his lineage. So considering the context of God's loving, God loving Jacob and hating Esau has nothing to do with the human emotions of love and hate. But it has everything to do with God choosing one man and his descendants and rejecting another man and his descendants to be the lineage of the chosen people, to be an example Of faith before the Lord. God the Father rejected Esau, the Edomites, as being that chosen lineage and chose to use Esau to be his chosen people to show faith on the earth. 
but he did not hate him in the sense of choosing some to save and not others. Genesis actually reminds us that God blessed Esau. So this thought that God chooses some and not the others, we need to dispel that thought. See, John 3.16 says, As for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life to whosoever is whosoever. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, if God did it any other way, it would mean that God truly hates his creation. And we know that God is not a God that hates his creation, but he's a God of love that loves us. And God's loving plan is that none would be lost, that all would come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Even Israel. So let me conclude with this. Maybe there's a fear staring you in the face right now. And maybe you're finding your faith in God's promises shaking. But I want you to be encouraged that God's promises is steadfast. He will not go back on his word. He's a God that does not lie. That God worked out his divine plan to bring us to salvation. That we might be saved. He put it. He put his people in place. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, who would become Israel, and down and down to the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not so the Israelites or any others could think they were the exclusive elect, but that his plan of election to draw us to him through the whosoever believing in Christ because of his atoning sacrifice for the whole world would be the way, the truth, and the life. And by believing and trusting in him, we would become the elect of God, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. And the sadness of Israel and the world would not be that many are called but few are chosen. Unfortunately, that's going to be the case. And Paul's heart is grieving. He so desires to preach the gospel, the good news that the veil of separation, the veil of blindness would come off the eyes of Israel, would come off the world, that we would know that God is calling even today, and that we wouldn't be like the natural nation of Israel, 
but that we would come to the Lord. We would hear his calling. And by his sweet, sweet voice. And we would draw near to him. And by his spirit, we would be Israelites. Who are Israelites? Not by flesh, but by my spirit, says the Lord.